This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. This is a Business Radio special presentation of Dollars and Change. From the floor of the Wharton Social Impact Conference in Philadelphia and bringing to light the many innovative tools and models for social change. Here are your hosts, Nick Ashburn and Sandy Hunt. Welcome back. I'm Nick Ashburn. And I'm Sandy Barrowhunt. And you're listening to Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 111. This is a special broadcast of... Very special broadcast. ...of dollars and change. We are broadcasting from the floor of the Wharton Social Impact Conference, and we are giving you access to some of the conversations that we've been having all day. But you should really come next year, because... it's great. You can have even more conversations. It's even better We in couldn't person. even fit all the amazing guests we have onto today's show. And you can find out if I have a face for radio or not. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's enough of me. All right. So we'll let our guests vote. <laughs> We're doing a live poll. Just kidding. All right. So we are here on the floor of the conference. And our next guest is Carol Yepesen, who is the senior U.S. network manager for the UNPRI. Okay, Carol. Welcome to the show, first of all. <laughs> Thank you. But so what, happy to be here. What is UNPRI? Yeah, well, I'd love to give you a little bit of background. I think that's uh, helpful to the audience, hopefully. Um, I think we've all seen the newspaper headlines when a company like British Petroleum or Volkswagen makes the headlines for some of the wrong reasons. Mm. Uh, oftentimes, it's, li- it's related to what we would call environmental, social, or governance, ESG mm-hmm. factors. And the stories really can pertain to a wide variety of factors ranging from climate change to human rights. And, you know, these incidents can have a really uh, massive financial implications sometimes in in the form of penalties, increased regulations, et cetera, reputational costs. Mm -hmm. So we can really easily see that ESG factors represent investment risks, just like any other risks that you would incorporate into a valuation model. And so we see these headlines in terms of how they demonstrate downside risks, but, you know, it's not all negative. Um, ESG management can also lead to opportunities and financial upside, things like improved operational efficiency, efficiency, increased market share and revenues, and improved access to capital. And when these issues affect performance, investors should pay attention. And, of course, uh, the analysis of these issues has been going on for, for decades. It's not something entirely new. Um, asset owners and investment managers have been looking at these, these things for quite a long time, although not really explicitly with the ESG label. Um, however, many of them have failed to do that in a systematic way. And this really has had some very wide-ranging implications, not only in terms of individual companies and investments, uh, but also more broadly um, and for the overall economy, really, in the, in the global financial system. And so this was really the, the rationale, and it really set the stage for the formation of the PRI. And so to give you a little bit of history... Um, and if you could just break down that for our listeners. Sure. Um, what, is the, you know, what is a PRI? What is your PRI? Exactly. Yeah. So back in 2005, uh, the UN Secretary General Kofi Annan invited a group of the world's largest institutional investors to join him to establish an init- initiative to support pr- uh, responsible investing. And the goal really was to provide a framework to incorporate sustainability and ESG factors into the investment decision-making process. Uh, so together, they really developed a set of six principles, were, which were really intended to be a framework for incorporating sustainability and ESG factors into the investment decision-making process. And that really formed the basis for what is now the PRI, or the Principles for Responsible Investment. So that was launched back in 2006 at the New York Stock Exchange, and it represents a collaboration with two UN bodies, the UN Global Compact and the UNEPFI. 
So we started with a group of 20 founding signatories, and today we've grown to over 1,700 signatories in over 60 countries around the world, uh, collectively managing over 62 trillion in assets under management. And that represents really a significant portion of uh, the world's total investable assets. So, all right. So, Carol. That was trillion with a T. That was trillion (laughs) with a T. Um, So not chump change here. I'm curious to know who are examples of signatories. Mm -hmm. What are they signing on to? You know, what are they sort of pledging to do? Sure, sure. So we have three categories of signatories. We have investment managers, uh, the likes of BlackRock and Fidelity. Uh, We have asset owners, which would comprise of endowments, foundations, public pension funds, insurance companies, uh, allocators of capital. And we have service providers, the likes of of Bloomberg and MSCI. So those are the three categories of signatories. Uh, And we call them signatories. You could also call them members, but we call them signatories because they sign on to a set of six principles for responsible investing. And let's talk through those for our listeners. Sure. Excellent. Excellent. Um, So basically, like I said, they're they're really best practices around responsible investing. Uh, And very briefly, uh, the signatories commit to incorporating ESG factors into their investment processes, to being active owners of the companies they hold. That's in terms of their pro- proxy voting activities and engaging uh, with companies. And, and just for our listeners, the act, you know, being active owners basically means they're taking every opportunity that they have. They're really leaning into the responsibility afforded to them in being an investor yes. and saying, we're going to show up to the board meetings, we're going to vote, we care about these things, and we're going to be active. It's exactly as simple as the word. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Communicates. Um, exactly. The third principle is that we ask signatories to seek disclosure on ESG information from the companies in which they invest. We ask them to promote responsible investment more broadly within the uh, investment community, to collaborate with other investors on implementing the principles, and finally to report on their progress through an annual reporting process that we have at the PRI. All right. So if I'm a if I'm a signatory and I'm trying to incorporate environmental, social, and governance criteria, ESG, mm-hmm. Am I held accountable for this? Mm-hmm. How, how do, you know, as, as the member, membership organization or the, the, the governing body, sort of, so to speak, how do you guys oversee this in, uh, from the day-to-day perspective? Sure, absolutely. Well, I think that that ties into um, the last principle we talked about, which is the reporting. So on an annual basis, uh, all of our, our signatories have to come to us and go through uh, a process where they a- answer a, a series of questions on exactly how they're incorporating ESG into their investment processes, really the nuts of bol- and bolts of exactly what they're doing across all asset classes, across all of their investments. Um, and then what we do is we, we have um, reporting outputs that come from that process, and we sit down with our signatories and, and go through it with them and point out to them where they're doing well. It allows them really to benchmark against their peers and against themselves, you know, how they've done in prior years, uh, and also point out where they can make improvements. I'm hearing opportunities for data, Sandy. Yes, oh, indeed. <laughs> One, you know, I'm curious to play the skeptic here. Yeah. Why would someone do this? Why would you be a signatory? It comes with, you know, you could just choose to do you know, what you think is the most impactful, thoughtful investing possible, but not go through the sort of headache of all this paperwork and reporting that comes with being a signatory. Why do they do it? Well, I think for a lot of signatories, the reporting is actually uh, perceived as a benefit for them. It's a mechanism uh, to understand how well they are doing, how their peers are doing. Um, Certainly becoming a signatory enables them to interact with our base of 1,700 signatories around the world and share best practices around how how things are being done. Uh, They have the opportunity to be a leader in the space and promote their message globally. Uh, So those are are some of the factors. 
um, I would say that for the asset owners, it's really uh, an opportunity to take leadership and spread the message. So. All right. So you, you said there were 1,700 mm-hmm. signatories Just over globally. 17. That's right. You oversee those in the U.S. Correct. So what is what has the market been like? How has it evolved over time here in the U.S.? Sure, sure. So I'd say in terms of uh, our global signatory base, um, Europe perhaps has had a little bit of a head start. I'd say that, you know, in countries like the Nordic region and Northern Europe, you have the public pension funds where they've been really focused on uh, incorporating sustainability for, for decades, really. And it's been something that's really part of the culture there. Um, and the U.S. Uh, started a little bit later. Uh, however, I'd say that we're catching up. And particularly uh, the past two years, there's been a lot of momentum, both in terms of uh, growth in our base of signatory. In the past two years, uh, we've had about 200 signatories come on board in the U.S., uh, but also in terms of a deeper level of um, engagement and interaction. So, um, you know, I'd say that we're still behind Europe. We're certainly catching up. And what trends are you seeing in the um, appetite for membership in the United States? What, you know, um, where's it coming from? What's driving it? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I'd say that, you know, realization and understanding of of just the fact that these issues affect portfolio performance is the number one driver. Uh, Really buying into the idea that these are material risk factors to your investment portfolio and also opportunities to generate financial upside. So I'd say that predominantly driven by an opportunity to improve your return profile. Yeah. And um, what evidence do they look at? You know, as Nick said, this is, you know, we're always thinking about data. When they're saying, hey, you know, we think this is going to improve, you know, our, our perspective on risk or we think this is going to have promising financial performance for us. Mm-hmm. What do they look at to build that confidence? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I think that um, at the PRI, that's something that you know we're focused on. Um, one way that we can uh, show examples of success in that regard is that we work with our signatories to create case studies. We have a number of different publications that we put out every year uh, talking about integration across various asset classes in specific areas. And uh, we work with our base of signatories to create case studies that demonstrate how, how they're doing it effectively, uh, what they can learn from each other. Um, and so that's really one, one major way that we use to promote that and spread the word. Excellent. We are here on the floor of the Wharton Social Impact Conference. It's Sandy Hunt and Nick Ashburn. We are here with Carol Yepison, Senior U.S. Network Manager of UNPRI, or the Principles for Responsible Investment. And Carol, one of my questions for you is, do you still see a lot of misperceptions in this sort of, in this ESG PRI space? We do. We do. In fact, a lot of the the time we spend discussing with uh, potential signatories and other uh, stakeholders and con- constituents is really about eliminating those misperceptions. Um, some of the more common ones, uh, you know, at the PRI, we really believe that responsible investment is about being a better investor, using more information, taking a longer-term perspective, and delivering better outcomes. Uh, responsible investment is about performance. It's not about philanthropy. It's about improving returns, not sacrificing them. That's a very common misperception. Sure better managing risks, and really um, enhancing an investor's ability to uphold their fiduciary duty to their clients and beneficiaries. That's great. And we're so glad that you're out there taking the time to sort of walk folks through that message. I think the experiences tend to um, anchor individuals in really at least one of those misperceptions. So it's, it's great that the evidence base is being built and that there are catalysts out there like you who are helping to sort of unpack that and walk through it and say, well, you know, why are you asking that? And here are some case studies that might encourage you to think otherwise that's right and and carol you know in our last couple of minutes here what do you think 
you know, we, we've got the misperceptions. Sandy just mentioned the uh, perhaps an early but growing evidence base. What, I mean, what are what's sort of next for you guys, and what are some of the hurdles that you are hoping to overcome in the space, and maybe even a place like Wharton could support on? Sure, absolutely. Well, you know, this past April, the PRI celebrated our 10-year anniversary, so we've got, you know, a decade under our belts, and we've seen a tremendous evolution over the past decade in terms of how responsible investing has developed, Um, but we're cognizant of the fact that there's still a tremendous amount of progress to be made. Um, And so over the past year, our 10th year, we went through um, a formal process to gather feedback from our base of signatories uh, on where our priorities should lie for the next decade of responsible investing. And that's something that we're actually going to be releasing a uh, what we call a blueprint document at the end of this month, uh, highlighting the areas that we'll be focused on. Some of those areas will be uh, we're launching a new infrastructure work stream. We think we think there's a tremendous um, opportunity for for growth globally um, in revitalized infrastructure projects that are sustainable and climate resilient. Um, I'd say. Generally speaking, we want to make sure that there's, we talked about accountability. Accountability is a big part of what we talked about in, tr- in terms of making sure that our global base of signatories are, are really living up to the, the, the principles that they've signed yeah. on to. So that's a really important part of things. Um, and just the best ways to, to push things forward. We have a, a work stream on creating a more sustainable financial system globally. You know, certainly um, ESG factors are not only risk factors to individual investments, but they're risk factors to the global overall economy. And we want to make sure that we understand how that works and what large investors can do to mitigate those risks. So those are a few of the things we'll, we'll be focused on. Excellent. Well, we're certainly excited to hear more and to see more. And for all of our listeners, you know, we are coming at you here from the Wharton Social Impact Initiative Conference. We're on the floor getting a chance to hear from some of our fabulous guests like Carol Jepson, um, who's joining us. And we will be talking to some more guests today who are really helping to take the content of this conference and bring it to all of you listeners. Are you And Carol, are you seeing um, more interest from business schools in this area? I mean, I can certainly speak for Wharton, <laughs> but otherwise, I mean, what else are you seeing at the, you know, the university level? Absolutely. I, I'd say that um, virtually all of the major business schools have some uh, component of impact investing, responsible investing integrated into their curriculum. Uh, and we actually have a team over in London. I have 80 colleagues over in uh, our headquarters in the London office, uh, and some of them are, are responsible for um, interacting with academic institutions. And... Um, so definitely an increasing level of interest. From our perspective, you know, the, the holy grail of all of this is that ESG is going to be incorporated into the standard everyday mm-hmm. um, evaluation. It'll just be investing. Exactly. The corporate finance 101, if you will. And I, I certainly have seen that that's starting to happen here at Warden, Warden which I'm thrilled about as my <laughs> alma mater. Um, but I think that some other schools are focused on that as well, and, and we certainly w- would love to promote that. Sensational. And that is a perfect segue to our next guest, who is definitely Thank- playing his part in... And helping uh, impact investing reach college campuses. So thank exactly. you, Carol. Thank you so much, Carol, for stopping by. You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.